In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. We began the Epiphany season with contemplating the arrival of the Magi, the three kings that came and saw Christ in uh, the manger. And this is a reflection for us of the Lord making himself known to the Gentiles through the Magi. We reflected on him making himself known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his baptism. We reflected on him making himself known as the Lamb of God, as the sacrificial Lamb, by whose blood and flesh we are cleansed and sanctified and strengthened for the work of the Lord. And now we're circling back and we're reflecting on what it means to have an epiphany, what it means to come into a deeper understanding and maybe a little bit more of how that happens. We think of epiphany or knowledge as uh, being about light and uh, that this new light shines upon us and that a light reveals who we are and where it is that we're going. That theme of light is brought up over and over again by the prophets and none more so than the prophet Amos, who I have to confess is maybe my favorite after Jonah, to whom I can really relate. <laughs> Amos uh, is, is such a beautiful uh, prophet. He is not of the nobility like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel. Amos is a working man. He is a shepherd and he's a dresser of sycamore trees. And his images, his imagery that he uses to describe our relationship to the Lord is one of agricultural settings. And so he talks about the, the natural order of the world in order to instruct us in who the Lord is and how we relate to him. And he uses the imagery of the land and of the animals uh, for us to gain an understanding of our relationship to God. And what we see in this passage from Amos in chapter 3 is that he is uh, setting up for us an understanding that we live in a cause and effect world. And this is why Christianity is so linked to scientific discovery and to the idea that we have rational minds and that we can apply rational minds to the created order and that we can come into an understanding. Uh, Amos is uh, delineating for that for us. He's showing us that we live in this cause and effect world and that we have an understanding of certain kinds of cause and effect. Why do animals do what they do? And why do hunters do what they do? And why do people living in cities do what they do? And how can we come into an understanding of and, and to know uh, what is going on in the world by observing and perceiving these things? And then he uh, sums that up by saying that we come to know who the Lord is in the same way that there is a cause and effect of coming to know who he is, that we can see by what we've done how the Lord is going to respond. Now, the way that he responds here is uh, he talks about disaster. He says, does disaster not come to a city unless the Lord has done it? So we need to spend a moment to clarify that because uh, a, a simple cursory reading might make us think that God causes disaster in this way. Uh, the Lord has set up the world in a cause and effect manner by which disaster can befall us based on our actions. That is possible. There are negative consequences, negative results to what we do as individuals and as a society. And so uh, those things can happen. And we know that when we reject the way of the Lord and we reject his law, that there's a possibility for the lifting of the hand of providence, the lifting of the protection that is upon us and upon the nation of Israel. And so he's showing that uh, the Lord has lifted this hand of providence and that the prophets have foreseen this. The prophets have warned that, uh, that what you do is going to have consequences. And he says uh, the summary of this is that the people do not know how to do right. 
The people do not know how to do right. And so if they don't know how to do right, they're not able to live and work in the world in a way that will bring about blessing, that will open the gates of heaven, that will open the windows of heaven for the mercy and the grace that we so strongly desire. And so this is what we're hoping for in Epiphany. We're hoping that we will have the light of Christ revealed. We're hoping that the Holy Spirit will come into our hearts and our minds and that we will be instructed in what is right. That we will come to not only know what's right, but that we'll want and desire to do what's right. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? It's not just knowing what's right, but it's hungering and thirsting for the ways of God. And so in this cause and effect world, in this understanding that we have to know what is right, that we have to perceive it, and that we have to walk into it, brings us to uh, this simple concept that sometimes we try to make so complex called repentance. Right? We try to make repentance into this big complex thing, and it's very, very simple. Repentance is so important, uh, but it's so feared, and so often rejected. Because it requires regret and confession. To repent, we have to experience regret for what we've done, and we have to confess it. I feel horrible. I'm so sorry for what I did. It's important that this passage in Matthew comes right after the temptation in the wilderness. This is very early in Matthew's Gospel. So in chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel, we see the baptism. We see God revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you'll remember uh, that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, immediately after the baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness, into that Judean wilderness, right? That incredible harsh uh, climate from uh, the River Jordan to Jerusalem with this, uh, you know, 3,000 foot change in elevation over only several miles and the harshness of this environment. And it's in that place that Jesus is tempted by the devil. And uh, the devil questions Jesus' divinity, tempts him into the three basic sins, right, of uh, lust and uh, power and fame. Right, and uh, and when Jesus and he quotes scripture to do it, and then when Jesus finally in the end rejects him and tells him to go away, he goes immediately and learns of John's arrest and preaches repentance. Now, why is that important? Because sometimes, again, people want to make repentance sound like a belief in God. A belief in Christ's divinity, or some kind of a mental understanding of these things, or some understanding of Scripture, right? So we can start with idol worshippers, right? We start with idol worshippers. Idol worshippers think that money or fame or power or greed is God, and they worship it. And so they become like what they worship, right? Those who worship celebrity, those who worship money or power, they remake themselves in that image, right? This is the lowest kind of level of a spiritual life, right? They become like the wood and stone that they worship. Above that, though, is Satan, because Satan knows more than idol worshipers. Satan knows who God is. He knows that Christ is divine. He knows Scripture. 
And what does it get him? Eternal damnation. Right? He knows who God is. He is not questioning Christ's divinity. He's trying to get Christ to question it. But what is he not willing to do? Repent. He will not experience regret. And he will not confess. So we can be at the level of an idol worshiper. We can be at the level of Satan and his ministers who knew who God is and, and who know Holy Scripture. But for us to come into the kingdom of God, for us to be joined with him, we have to regularly, regularly, every day, experience regret and confess our sins. That's what it takes. This is the complex method of repentance. Remember, I was going this way. I realized, oh, I'm going the wrong way. And then I turn around and go the other way. See how complex that is? Repentance. Again. That's it. But what do we sometimes do? We sometimes say, yeah, I know this isn't working out so well, but you know, it's my way. It's what I, the way I've always done it. Right? Or we say, oh, I know I'm going this way. I'm really sorry that it's causing you this problem. Please forgive me. Without ever changing. Repentance isn't saying, oh, I'm sorry for the way that I'm going. Forgive me and continuing to go in that path. Repentance is experiencing regret and sorrow and then moving into an amendment of life. And this is what Jesus is inviting the disciples to participate in. Right? When he authorizes the apostles, when he authorizes the church, he authorizes them to forgive sins. Right? That is in repentance. Your sins are forgiven when you say, oh, I was going the wrong way. I confess it to everybody. And then I turn and I walk in an amendment of life. Confession of sin and repentance and now forgiveness. And this is what we've been invited into. One generation after another, the apostles and that teaching has been passed one generation to another until it has come down to us and we have been baptized and confirmed into that ministry of the forgiveness of sins and calling ourselves and one another to repentance. That's what we're here for. And in case you think that it's easy, or in case you think that it's a new thing that we failed in this, we'll just turn briefly to 1 Corinthians. Right? This is like 20 years after Christ has resurrected. And what's going on? They're arguing among themselves. Now, if anybody comes into the church and says, oh, I can't, I was shocked that there's argument. I was shocked that there's disagreement, right? Okay, well, number one, you've never read the scriptures, right? Number two, you don't understand what it means to be in a family, and you don't understand that that's a daily experience of, again, regret and confession. I'm sorry for what I did. And so he identifies this church in Corinth that he had planted and that is meeting in the house of this noble woman, Chloe. This is a common way that the early church begins, right? Uh, often a, a widowed woman, a woman of means, invites the apostle into her home. She gathers her extended family and neighbors. They hear the teaching and they begin to break bread and celebrate Holy Communion in her home, in her meeting place, because she's a hostess. 
because she knows how to invite people. She knows how to, uh, how to, to provide for people, right? She knows how to be welcoming, right? And so this is the, what the church does, right? We welcome people in. We're hostesses, right? We welcome them into the church and to the teaching. And so Chloe is writing back to Paul and saying, uh, guess what? Disagreement. We've broken into factions and into to divisions, right? We've become politicized. And so Paul writes clearly that there are no divisions in Christ. If we look at the history of the church, it's radical for how long we were united. That the first major division really doesn't take place until 1054. That's a thousand years. That's a pretty good run. And while we can be thankful for our Anglican heritage, we can be thankful for the way that we worship, for our music and our liturgy and all that we have, we should never ever assert it as being the only way or in somehow use it to demean anybody else. And we need to constantly be on our guard for any division in the church, any disagreement where we don't go to one another and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I want to be at one with you. I want to be in agreement with you. And more than that, in agreement with Christ, with his gospel and with his cross. Because that's what the cross is all about. Repentance of sin. It's all about the forgiveness of sin. It's all about the recognition of our fallenness, our brokenness, and God's healing of us. And when we do that, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? Maybe another way of saying at hand is to say, within your reach, within your grasp. In other words, you were going this way, but if you just turn, you can hold it, you can touch it, you can enter into it. Not that we possess the kingdom of God, but that we can open the doors and walk in, that we can be a part of his kingdom, that we can be a part of his church, that we can be a part of his family, that we can be ministers of reconciliation, that we can show the world what it means to apologize and to forgive and to uh, center upon Christ and his church. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.